And before we continue, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, you offer, you promise blessing um, to those who meditate on your instruction. And so we pray even now that you would help us to do exactly that. Uh, that you would accompany your word with the power of your spirit, that we would be shaped by it. And that through that you would make us each like trees planted by streams of water. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to begin by uh, maybe saying something obvious, but something that hopefully is still worth uh, repeating and remembering. And that is that you and I have a choice about how we live our lives. And that choice has everything to do with whether we live our lives well or we live our lives poorly. I realize that sounds obvious. You and I have a choice about how we can live our lives and what we choose will determine whether we live our lives well or live our lives poorly. It, it, it might seem obvious, except I think it's actually something that we, to some degree, maybe have been forgetting at times. Because we are in a time where we talk a lot about the things that we don't have control over in our lives. We think, for example, of um, how we have been formed genetically, that there's a certain wiring to the way our brains are, and we understand that shapes who we are. Uh, there's a lot of attention to how our, our emotional responses, our desires are shaped by what happens to us and our growing up, and we know about those things. Recently, there's been a lot of talk about just the very socioeconomic condition into which you were born will shape a lot about your life. And, and let me say, all of those things I absolutely think are true. And, and all of those things are, are part of what shape our lives. You know, Scripture itself says, what do you have that you did not receive? Reminding us that so much of our lives, in fact, all of our lives is a gift. But I think sometimes, as we have been thinking about that and aware of the things that we don't have control over that shape us, sometimes a narrative has emerged that implies that really there's nothing we can do to shape our lives at all. It's just kind of already laid out for us. You can't help it. You, you're built this way. You'll make the decisions this way. Your life will be determined by the things that have happened to you. And we forget that there are choices that we make that actually determine whether we live our lives well or poorly. Now, someone who, or a group of people that do not forget this truth are advertisers. Every ad in one way or another is trying to tell you that what you choose will either make your life awesome or terrible, depending on which deodorant you buy or whatever. I think perhaps for me, the, the, the most clear example of this very obvious way of seeing things, and I've talked about this commercial before, but there was a commercial about, like I don't know, four or five years ago for direct TV. It's only during football games that I think it was seen, so if you don't watch football, you won't know what I'm talking about. So there's, there's this guy, Tony Romo. I don't know if you know who Tony Romo is. He, um, he retired as the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, and he's a handsome guy. I mean, like, there's just something very confident about his. And so at the very beginning, you see this really kind of, he's, he's got this sport jacket, the open collar button shirt, looking kind of awesome. He says, hi, I'm Tony Romo, and I use DirecTV. And then suddenly in a moment, you see another version of Tony Romo, except he's not nearly as cool. He's, he's bald, he's got this big scruffly beard and glasses, and he's wearing this strange 
hippie costume, and he says, hi, I'm arts and craftsy Tony Romo, and I use cable. And then the rest of the commercial are these two different lives. Awesome Tony Romo is, you know, hanging out with his friends, watching football in a really nice house, having really good food, and then arts and craftsy uh, Tony Romo is using, like, paper mache and getting all frustrated in this really cluttery kitchen. And in case you don't understand what the ad is telling you, at the very end, Tony Romo is like, don't be that version of me. Get DirecTV. There are two ways to live, two paths before you. One that's good, one that's bad, and it's all about what you choose about your TV or cable or whatever. Well, the Bible actually has a similar framework. Not, of course, about DirecTV, but it does tell us, and we see this in our passage, that there, are, there is a choice that we have. And, and that choice actually, to some degree, determines where our lives end up. The choice is made explicit. The very first word is blessed in our psalm. The very last word is perish. And that's intentional, saying these are the two trajectories. So, so blessedness, I think I've said before, blessedness is a word that's not as churchy as it sounds. It's just describing the life that is good, the Tony Romo life, the, the life that we want. So that's, that's what it means to be blessed. And, and instead of giving us like a picture of Tony Romo, it gives us another picture. It says, the life of blessedness, of goodness, is like a tree. This is the, the greatest time for me to be able to preach the sermon because we have like the sermon illustration like right here before us, right? Like if there is an MVP for the outdoor service, it is this tree. It's, it's fantastic, right? It's strong. It has all these leaves. It provides shade. That's why so many of you are sitting right there. Um, and when you think of a tree, what do we think of? We think of, of something that's just stable and, and it goes deep and it's alive and it's resilient. It is good. And, and Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man. He is like a tree. That is one way. But then the other way, the way it characterizes the way of wickedness, the way that we speak of as perishing, has a different image. Not arts and craftsy Tony Romo, but chaff. Um, I don't know much about chaff. I had to look it up. It's like the um, you know, if you have to separate the good wheat from the shells, there's this little kind of dusty part that can get blown away. So I was trying to think about what would be kind of an equivalent that we have more of kind of a relational connection to than chaff to understand this image. And what I thought of was cicada husks. Do you guys remember, like, like before there was just this incredible cacophony of cicada. There was this time, at least in our backyard, where the young cicadas kind of outgrew their first exoskeleton. And I felt like on every bush and every plant, there were these disgusting, small, light brown husks that used to be the cicada. Have you, have you seen those? Um, I wanted to actually bring one with me, but they're all gone. And actually, that's kind of the point. I mean, if you pick them up, they're really light. If you step on them, they crumble and the wind blows them away. And in just a short time, they're nothing but a bad memory. And that's, that's the other image that we have here. One way is like a tree of blessing. The other way is cicada husks. Uh, it's, it's no substance. It's empty. It's a life that ultimately just disappears and there's almost no recollection of it. These are the two ways our psalm says, that we have before you. And it says, where we go of those two actually has to do with a choice that you and I make. 
And I think maybe what's potentially surprising about the choice is not, it, it's not actually talking primarily just about the life that you, the, the things that we do. I mean, it does use the language of wickedness and righteousness, but, but the contrast in terms of the choice isn't as much that as it is about influences. So if you notice, it says, first, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. It's speaking about what shapes us, what influences us. On the other hand, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And that, and that word law, as we'll see in a moment, is really just the word for instruction. His delight is being instructed by God. That's, that's the choice. It's a choice of influence. And I think it's actually useful for us to think about influence because... Um, I don't actually very often think about what influences me. I think we realize that when those of us who are parents, that our kids get influenced, we, we're regularly attentive to who our kids' friends are. We hear horror stories about kids who have kind of like, they found themselves in the wrong crowd and the way that they were shaped by that. So we know that our kids are influenced. But we don't, we don't think of ourselves, I think, as much influenced. At least I don't. I often think of myself as someone who, I just kind of make decisions on my own. And, and it's just purely me. But, but that's actually not the way it is. I mean, we, just because we're adults doesn't mean we're any less influenced by others. I mean, think of it in these terms. Think of, think of all of the decisions you make every day that are shaped by what you think is normal. So let me ask you these questions. What time should your kids go to bed at night? Or... How much is too much to spend on a pair of good shoes? Or how often should you wash your car? There is not really a right answer to this. So how do you figure it out? You look around, you notice what's normal, and then you do that accordingly. We're, we're influenced. And, and the psalm says we should actually pay attention to how we're influenced. In fact, what our influence, what our primary influence is, is the difference between being a strong, resilient, life-filled tree and cicada husks. And so that's what the psalm is saying. First, let's talk about what it talks about is the way of the cicada husk, which is what we find in verse 1. The, the first influence. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, the influence of wickedness. Now, I realize when we hear that word wickedness, at least for me, it has certain connotations. I think of, you know, Genghis Khan or, or Adolf Hitler, like really bad. But the word wicked actually in the Bible is, is a lot more subtle than that. One, one dictionary, Hebrew dictionary that I looked up said that a good definition of wickedness in the Bible is practical atheism. Wickedness is living as if God isn't real or at least he's not significant. That he's at best kind of a, a, a side part of life. And so if you think about it, when you see wickedness that way, the way that we should maybe think of wickedness is normal. I mean, that's, that's life around us, right? So much of life and the world around us sees God as at best peripheral and maybe not even real. And so it talks about the counsel of the wicked. Where are we shaped? Where do we find the influence, the counsel of the wicked? Well, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's, in the, it's in the cable news and Twitter feeds that are telling us that, that this political figure either is Satan incarnate or is the salvation of the world. That is 
speaking as if God isn't central, right? Or it's the stories that we watch and take in day after day that that imagine life as if God doesn't exist and, and happiness being just about meeting our own desires. Or it's about our social feed on Facebook and Instagram that depicts the good life as something that's just purely something that we do on our own. Or it's, it's conversations we have with friends. Or, if we're really honest, the counsel of the wicked even is found in our own thinking and our own hearts. Now, to be absolutely clear, because we can misunderstand this and feel like what this is calling us to is a kind of isolation from everything. And that's not what this is saying. Jesus says we're supposed to be in the world. We're called to learn from wherever truth is to be found. What it's talking about is not just hearing the counsel. It's walking in the counsel of the wicked. It is being shaped by a view of the world where God isn't there. And actually, there's a, a progression here about how this influence works. This is the pathway that the psalmist is warning against. Notice, first, it starts with just walking in the counsel of the wicked, your, your way is shaped. It's not necessarily any conscious one decision or another. It's, it's little things like how we have our habits for the day, how we relax, what we spend our time on, the, the things we just generally do. We don't ever, I think no one ever consciously says, I'm going to organize my life around being as comfortable and secure as possible. It's just, it's just the way but as, as we walk in that way, the next step, it talks about standing with sinners, which implies now we're moving from just kind of something that's almost accidental to a, a conscious choice. Because as we're being shaped, as our lifestyle is being shaped by a different view of the world, it becomes less and less easy for us to obey God and more and more seeming strange until we find ourselves making decisions where we know this isn't what God wants, but it's really what we want. And then after it says, you know, standing in the way of sinners, it sits in the seat of scoffers, which now implies there is not just a choice, but even, even belief, a conviction where I know now that I'm right and those other people are wrong which is actually different from the order that we oftentimes think. We think that what happens is maybe people have doubts, and then after doubts, maybe they start making choices. But that's not what this is saying. This is actually saying, first you make choices. And then because you've made choices, then you start changing the way you think. I, I've heard probably every year there's some Christian celebrity, whether he used to be a pastor or used to be a musician, where they speak now of how they no longer think what they used to think. And unsurprisingly, every time this announcement seems to be coupled with, and so I'm getting a divorce, or so I've had an affair, because the actions is what leads to this change of opinions, and suddenly, suddenly just what you used to believe doesn't seem to make sense anymore. This, the psalmist says, is the way that you should avoid. This is the way of the cicada husks. This is the way of perishing. This is the way of lifelessness. At first, it doesn't feel that way. That's why it's so enticing. At first, it seems rational, and it promises immediate gratification. It is attractive. But just like a shell that has no substance, the more you are with it, the deeper it goes, the emptier and more weightless it feels. Until it is exposed 
Sometimes it's exposed in suffering. When you suddenly go through something hard, what you thought made a difference feels empty. Sometimes it's exposed at the very end of life. Notice how it concludes. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. The judgment is when every truth is made clear. Um, I like what one commentator writes in this guard. He says that when the wicked are summoned before God to give an account of their lives, quote, their sleep is broken, and they perceive that they were merely dreaming when they imagined themselves to be happy without looking inward to the true state of their hearts. This is the way of perishing. And the psalmist says, blessed is the one who doesn't go in that direction. There's a warning here, go no further. Instead, we are told, the one who is blessed, in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And to be clear, that word law, in fact, there's even a footnote that says that. That law, the word Torah, maybe you've heard that before, literally just means instruction. The point is not laws. The point is that you get to be instructed by God himself. His delight is in God's instruction. Just think about this for a moment before we go any further. So when I, um, when I was getting my PhD, the reason I went to where I went to in Wheaton was because there's this one guy, a guy by the name of Henri Blochet, that I was so impressed with. And the idea of learning under him, of studying under this person who I thought so highly of, was just a privilege. But what this is saying is you and I have the privilege of learning under God of being instructed by the creator of the universe who knows everything, who is the source of all wisdom, who is the source of all joy. If, if you are this morning trying to think through this whole Christianity thing, you're not actually sure even necessarily what it's about. In some ways, this is a really simple way of talking about what the Christian life is. It is, a, it is to be people who hear and are shaped by God. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel are those who hear God. In the New Testament, when it speaks of Jesus' followers, they are called his disciples, which just literally means learners or apprentices. They are those who are learning from God, from Jesus. And here we say the way of becoming a tree is the way of being instructed, being shaped by God. And just like we had kind of this picture before of what it looked like to be shaped by wickedness here, we have this picture. It starts with, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, we're not talking about just this intellectual exercise. Someone could memorize the whole Bible and yet never actually be shaped by it. If we look at the Pharisees, we see that failure. Delight involves the attitudes, the desires of the heart. I remember talking to a friend of mine once, and his story is not unusual. It's probably like many of yours. He spoke of growing up in the church and for years just having to sit through this really long sermon and just kind of tuning out. And at some point in his life, he started realizing, I need to know this. And suddenly he was hungry to hear and to understand. His delight was in God's instruction. And that's, that's how this begins. There is a longing to know what God has to say. But then it says more than that, on his law, he meditates. That word meditate literally is muttering. Have you ever had, 
had something that you are preoccupied with, and so your brain just keeps turning around and around, and you're trying to kind of get to the bottom of it, and you just keep thinking about it. Maybe even start talking to yourself about it. That's the image here. It's, it's this muttering. It's, it's to not just try to understand the surface meaning, but to, to internalize. If, you know, today, if someone kind of catches your attention and so you're thinking about it and maybe talking about it with friends or thinking about it over the next couple of days and trying to say, what does that mean for me? You're muttering. That's what meditation here. And that's, that's the way of the tree. But not only does it say, and on his law, his instruction, he meditates, but it says he meditates day and night. In other words, we're talking about not just a one-time thing. We're talking about habits. I think this is actually one of the mistakes that American Christianity has, and I do think it's something that's specific to American Christianity, where we think Christianity is primarily about one definitive big choice. When the reality is a lot of life doesn't actually work that way. William James a century ago said that the human life can best be summarized by a mass of habits. If you think about it, our life, who we are, what we do, it's a bunch of habits that put together construct us. And here the psalm is saying a person who is shaped by God, it, it appears in their habits. What, what are your habits when it comes to your influence? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first voice or information that you take in? When you go to bed at night, what are the stories that you have last heard that continue to preoccupy you as you go to sleep? How you answer those questions will, will tell us a lot about what shapes you. To, to be meditating on God's law day and night means there are habits in place, whether it's, it's things like Sunday morning gathering together in discipleship group or or times of spending reading God's word, or, or memorizing, or different things that we have put into place so that we find ourselves constantly drawing from the life-giving stream of God's instruction. Because that's, that's what it is. The, the reason that the way of wickedness is ultimately the way of emptiness is because it moves you further and further away from the source of all that is good and all that is real and that is true, and that is God, and what he has to say to us. Notice the promise here of if we are those who delight, if we are those who meditate and mutter on it, if we are those who have it as part of our habits, we will be like, it doesn't just say a tree. There's, it's a tree planted by streams of water. In that area, drought was common. It's a very dry area where this psalm was written. And so trees can be alive at one point and then die without rain, but not a tree planted by a stream. No matter what happens outside of it, that tree can keep on drawing from the life-giving water that it's nearby. And that's, that's the image that is meant for us about being instructed by God. Notice it says not just that this is tree is planted by a stream, but it says it yields its fruit in its season. So even if it's in the middle of drought, even if there's just heat, it still is able to provide the berries for birds or, or acorns for squirrels or, or fruit for people. It's saying it is a fruitful life 
don't, don't, don't you want a fruitful life? I think all of us have this built-in desire that we want to make a difference. We want to have a life that has meaning. We want to do something that is good for others. And, and here it says, and you will. Jesus says that, right? He says, abide in me. That is, allow me to shape you and you will bear much fruit. You will bring goodness to the world around you. You will be fruitful. Notice also it says that not only does it yield its fruit in its season, it says its leaf does not wither. No matter how hot things get, it still remains green and alive because it is connected at its roots to this life-giving stream. I mean, we are in a time of drought, right? Like, I'm imagining you're feeling similar to me where there's just this fatigue, this exhaustion. So much is different. So much is not the way we want it to be. We're in a time of, of hardship. And yet, the reality is that in, in God's instruction, in God himself, in his promises, in the hope we have, we have resources to sustain us, not to make us feel okay about everything, but to allow us to keep being alive so that our leaf does not wither even in the midst of drought like now. That's the picture we hear. And so the summary at the very end of that is, in all that he does, he prospers. That is the promise of, of the one who chooses the way of the life-giving stream of being instructed by God. And it involves a choice. We have two images, right? The image of perishing, of, of chaff, of, of the cicada husk, of a life that maybe looks like something at first but has nothing inside of it ultimately and goes away. And there's the life of the tree, of beauty, of strength, of resilience, of fruitfulness, of joy. And we're told in the psalm that we have a choice in terms of which direction we go. And that choice has to do with what influences us. Just to conclude, Jesus himself makes that clear. One of my favorite passages, I quote it so often, but it's worth hearing again. When Jesus speaks to people who are exhausted and tired and confused, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And what does he say after? Take my yoke, that is my instruction upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's a call to be instructed by Jesus, because in him we will be like a tree. I'd like to invite us, I've said, you know, it's not enough just to hear. We want to process, we want to ponder, and, and oftentimes one of the best things to do is to pray over God's word. I'd like to spend a couple minutes just talking to God about what we've heard. Maybe that involves acknowledging before him that we have allowed ourselves to be shaped by other things. Or it might just ask, be involving asking God for help. But let's spend a couple minutes in, in responding to God's word in prayer, and then I'll lead us in a couple minutes' time.